Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him to one side and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowds with his disciples, and he said to them, If anybody wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, sorry, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I, please take a seat, yes. I love those penny-dropping moments when something clicks into place, don't you? I'm, I'm struggling um, to try and play the piano again for the first time since I was at school. Um, and there's that wonderful moment when whatever it was you were trying to persuade your hands to do finally sticks, and you think, wow, that's great. If you're teaching somebody something, you probably get much of the same kind of feeling. That moment that your child first manages to ride a bike, um, or at work, when your team finally managed to get the task right unsupervised. At the start of this week's Gospel reading, Jesus probably felt the same thrill. Moments earlier, Peter had recognized him as Messiah of God, the Chosen One. And you can almost hear Jesus sighing, finally they get it. And yet, seconds later, Peter and Jesus end up in this argument. What's going on? Well, it helps to know how they got there. Days earlier, Jesus had sent the disciples away in pairs through the villages of Galilee to preach the coming of God's kingdom. And they'd all come back excitedly saying, we can heal people too. Jesus has tried to get the group away on their own, perhaps to explain why. But at that time in his ministry, wherever Jesus went, he was followed by huge crowds. Indeed, when they were in the middle of nowhere, um, the crowds had been hungry. Jesus had had to empower his disciples to feed the crowds too. According to Mark, they'd actually ended up with more food than they'd started with. All the while, the religious worthies had been repeatedly haranguing Jesus for not following the time-honored religious traditions of the day. Eventually, Jesus took his disciples from Bethsaida, which is by the Sea of Galilee, on a two, maybe longer, two-day march up onto Mount Hermon to Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he quizzes them about what the people think, who the people think he is, and what they think he is. Finally, they get to see Jesus is Messiah. It was God's power that they'd been using all the time to make the world-changing things happen. They'd been a bit like people doing things in the name of the king or the queen. 
They'd been given authority, for example, to call for repentance, for a change of life. And they'd also be given the power to produce the fruits of repentance. Lives changed, people healed, crowds fed. They'd been given the sort of power to do the things that Jesus had done to make God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now they understood what Jesus was and is. So now he can move on to the next stage and explain to them what's going to happen next, including the dangers that they will face if they stay with him. They've just seen how negatively the religious worthies had reacted to both Jesus' teaching and to his actions. They'd been around when John the Baptizer had spoken truth to Herod's power and had his head cut off for his trouble. Now they understood what Jesus is so he can explain to them what's going to happen next. Jesus was going to make it clear to everybody that tyrants like the Roman Emperor Tiberius, whose troops occupied their land and sucked its wealth away to Rome, was just a counterfeit ruler. God is the real ruler of the cosmos. And Jesus knew that committing sedition in Roman eyes by impugning the majesty of the emperor, which was the charge that Jesus was essentially executed for, not least by talking about kingdoms, got you crucified by the Romans. The disciples knew that Palestine was a dangerous place to challenge Rome. The Romans deliberately crucified people on the roadsides so everybody could see what would happen if you challenged Rome. I suspect Jesus knew he would end up on a cross. Anyone following him risked that fate as well. The trouble was, since their childhood, since their mother's knees, the disciples had known that the Messiah, or had been taught that the Messiah was going to free their land from the Romans. So Jesus now teaching them that he would end up being crucified by those very foreigners before the battle even started, offended Peter and probably the other disciples hugely, hence the argument and the rebuke. But Jesus knew that, that the disciples had to learn that Jesus' death and resurrection was needed to defeat the deep-rooted evil that afflicts this world to allow God's kingdom to come on earth. After Jesus' death, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled Peter, a changed man by then, to change other lives at Pentecost and after. The Holy Spirit has empowered Jesus' disciples to change the world ever since. The Holy Spirit empowered Wilberforce, uh, empowered Wesley's missions. They may have stopped this nation descending into violent rebellion at the end of the 18th century, following France. It empowered Wilberforce and others in their long campaign against the Atlantic slave trade. It empowered Elizabeth Fry to work for reform of prisons, Shaftesbury to reform working conditions in the economy. It empowered the chemist Michael Faraday both in his work as a preacher and, the elder of the and an elder in the church, but also in his world-changing work in science as the patron saint of electricity. The Holy Spirit empowered Tutu, Mandela and others to end apartheid in South Africa without that nation descending into chaotic bloodshed. And these are just the famous people. The Holy Spirit has shown millions of individual believers the person that God would have them be and the work God would have them do. It's why the risen Lord Jesus and his disciple, through his disciples down the centuries, 
has changed more of the world than any emperor has ever managed. Have you ever wondered why Jesus taught his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven? As a child, I was taught that church is about going to heaven when I die. Maybe you were too. Following Jesus since, though, has shown me that, although we can be assured of our place in the age to come, making God's kingdom come is a mission statement on earth. For all its beauty and grandeur, this world is full of strife and injustice. Wilberforce saw that slavery was wrong. Fry saw the horrors of Victorian prisons. Shaftesbury saw children being sent up chimneys as chimney sweeps. Faraday's understanding of chemistry allowed us to develop technologies like electric motors. Our century has its own opportunities and its own horrors. What makes you angry? What can you see that could make the world better? What's God calling us to do? Maybe, though, it's too big a problem for just one person to fix. Well, American President John F. Kennedy once said, those who dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly. Every accomplishment starts with the decision to try. Of course, taking on the powers that be won't be popular, especially with those who profit from injustice and corruption. Read the lives of the reformers and you'll see the opposition they face. Indeed, new improvements in technology and science are often resisted as well, particularly by the people who profit from the old way of doing things. We may not literally end up on a cross, but if we're ever tempted to believe that living the Christian life and following Jesus will be a bed of roses, well, let's remember that roses usually come with thorns. What might happen, though, if, like the disciples, we have the courage to pick up the loaves and the fish, the tools that are available to us, and allow the Holy Spirit of Jesus to multiply the effect up? What if we just start to do something that needs doing? Kennedy again. If not us, who? If not now, when? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the example of those who have followed you in the past. We pray that your Holy Spirit will show us the people you would have us be and the work you would have us do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.